Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast of the Carolinas by way of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is the moment sports betting fans around the world have been waiting for. It's time! Introducing the Fistful of Cash Podcast! What is going on, guys? You are tuned into the newest episode of the Fistful of Cash Podcast. I am your host, Dale Lippin, as always. Sitting here trying to bring you guys the latest and greatest in terms of sports betting. In particular, this weekend we got UFC 234, but there has been a lot going on in the MMA landscape since then. In particular, last weekend's event, uh, Rice versus a Sun Sal 2. We had a lot. Uh, we did we did fairly well on that card. Um, one of the things that, that, that really came to pass uh, is... Marlon Marais has really legitimized himself as a contender. Uh, I mean, it's not that he wasn't before, but when you look at the quality of opponent that he's beating and you look at the way he's beating them, it's almost impossible uh, to say that this guy is not the uh, scariest dude in the 135 division right now. Now, normally you would you know you could default and say that Cody Garbrandt would fall somewhere. Uh, in that you would say that you know obviously T.J. Dillashaw is is probably you know the man to beat, but for the first time ever, um, short of back when GSP confronted Matt Hughes in the cage and hit him with the uh, "I am not impressed by your performance." Uh, since then, I, I think this is the first time where. The guy that's coming up that's the number one you know, contender or challenger or threat to the throne, whatever you want to call him, I think that he is looking better than the champ looks. Uh, you know, Obviously, a lot of that has to do with the, the loss that Dillashaw just took when taking on Henry Cejudo. But you know, it's, it's, that's a real risk when it comes to moving down in weight. Um, there's a lot less grace in losing uh, when you go down in weight because the thought should be one that, uh, or tends to be one that you know you uh, you should have at least the advantage of size over a man. Uh, now, Cejudo is not a small flyweight by any means. I mean, he's had his trouble making the weight in the past, but still, T.J. Dillashaw losing. Marlon Marais, three consecutive wins, uh, and all of which were finishes inside the first round. I think it was like four and some change minutes uh, as far as octagon time within those those wins. Uh, you know, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the Aljamain Sterling win because that I mean the 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 knockout was fantastic. However, when you look at if you look at Aljo. He's got a lot of growing to do still, uh, and he seems to be one of those fighters that it's either his night or he's getting beat, you know, pretty pretty badly. And uh, I think he's just too young. It's, he's not what I would consider a savvy veteran fighter. Uh, he still has a lot a lot of growing to do. So 
when it comes to that, you've got these situations where a guy like Marlon Marais comes in and he just absolutely obliterates the competition. Meanwhile, TJ Dillashaw just took that L and um, it just makes him look, it makes Marlon Marais look like he's in control of the division. So when he looks like he's in control of the division, he's calling the shot. And I think, like I said, going back to the GSP thing, it's the first time I think since the GSP Matt Hughes situation where you have a situation where a guy, uh, you know, gets into the octagon and says, you know, I'm not sure if the champ is worthy of fighting me with how good I've looked. So good on him. Uh, Jose Aldo turned back the clock a little bit, completely snuffed out Renato Moicano. You know, it's one of those things, man, where uh, we're watching the fight and even going into it. One thing I will say about Moicano, I'm not saying that the guy's not a great fighter. I'm not saying that uh, he's got, you know, he's got endless talent and he's got a huge ceiling and a great upside. My concern with Moicano is his heart. Um, now, granted, I, you have the cons- what I believe to be the consensus greatest featherweight of all time coming at you like a great white shark uh, chasing a little tiny guppy. So I get that much. However, you've got a situation on your hands here where it's, I, I, I don't know, man. I, that was really something that, uh, I don't want to say he wasn't in trouble. He definitely was in trouble. There's no doubt about that. Uh but I'm wondering if it's one of those situations where does he have the heart to overcome adversity? Um, Jose Aldo had him hurt for sure, but it seemed to be that his initial reaction was turtle, turtle, turtle. Um, and when a guy gets hurt like that, you know, he's rocked, he's stunned, and your initial pull is turtle, turtle, turtle. Um, I. I don't know. I, I just expected maybe uh, a little bit more out of that. He was in bad shape. Jose Aldo looked good, um, and he did what it took as far as the necessities to make sure that the fight uh, went his way and, and obviously got that. Damian Maya, human backpack, defeats Lyman Good. We we called that. Oliveira defeating Tamer got that. Tamer got a broken orbital out of it too, so good on him. Johnny Walker just about killed Justin Ledette. Um, Justin Ledette was saying, you know, uh, that in the, in, in the pre-fight interviews, he was saying that he, he genuinely believes the earth is flat. Um, I want to say in my heart that he was trolling, but who knows? Um, all the same, the only thing that was flat was him after Johnny Walker completely leveled him. And that was about it. Marcus Perez, um, Overcame a little bit of adversity in the Anthony Hernandez fight. Uh, my thing with Marcus Perez is whoever's warming him up in the back needs to get it together. That guy gasses faster than any guy should, um, unless he just has a real issue with controlling his his energy output. Uh, he just seems to gas almost immediately. I don't know if he just can't control that adrenaline dump that comes whenever he fights. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um but he just, he really needs either, he needs somebody back there warming him up better, uh, sort of getting him at that peak at the right moment, or I would say that he, he's he got a, he's got some sort of issue with being able to regulate energy output and expenditure. So 
we'll, we'll see. Um, I think Marcus Perez is a, a great preliminary card fighter. I don't see him occupying pay-per-view space anytime soon. Tiago Alves was gifted, gifted a split decision over Max Griffin. Max uh, Griffin absolutely beat the dog shit out of Tiago Alves. But Brazilian judges are going to Brazilian judge. So there's that. All right. Uh, last thing, Colby Covington got stripped. Well, it, not formally, but there was something to the effect of Dana White saying that he's no longer the interim champ. I'm going to say this about Colby Covington. Colby Covington is a perfect example of when you try to be something you're not and it goes horribly wrong. Um, Colby Covington, I, I sincerely think in my heart, is not the douchebag troll character that he portrays. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, to get the interim belt, it was something that was created to save a card, and you fought a guy that, you know, despite, a, a, you know, looking good since moving up to welterweight, was legitimately not any threat to the welterweight throne. Uh, so... When you have that, and then you act and behave and say the dumb shit that Colby Covington does, you really put yourself at odds with the promotion because they can't align themselves uh, entirely with you when you act and behave that way. Now, that's not to excuse the behavior of Conor McGregor, who, in my opinion, is one of the worst, uh, or say, I don't know, not even really the Diaz brothers because they don't really say anything controversial. Um it's just it's just stupid, you know. It, it's not professional wrestling. Uh, Colby Covington, in an effort to try to sell tickets and generate buzz around him, um, you know, really created this persona that is just not. It's not how any real person would act and live and behave. And, and you know, I, I like I said, I'd like to believe that that's not him. Maybe it is. I I really don't know. Uh, but. He's a perfect example of when you pretend to be something you're not, and it goes terribly wrong. Because who do you have him fight at this point? You know, you got Usman coming in, and he's fighting Woodley. You're not going to have, you know, if you look at everybody in the top five, six, hell, eight in the welterweight division, they're all booked with the exception of him. So, you know, where does he think he's going to shake out in this mix? You know, I mean, Let's say Ben Askren goes out there and puts on the performance of a lifetime against Robbie Lawler, which we'll get to that whenever that fight shows up. Um, say he does, right? You really think that they're going to book Askren versus Covington? I doubt it. Now, the pre-fight would be hilarious um, because Askren doesn't have the best trash talk game, but it's he's he's got like this weird pseudo intelligent trash talk game where he's able to make you sound dumber than you may or may not actually be and Covington uh at least the character that he portrays is a straight moron so I think that Askren would be able to make Colby look really stupid uh so that could be entertaining pre-fight banter but that's really about it um if you're Colby Covington, you're just sort of left out in the wind. And I, I don't blame him for not booking him a fight. Uh, I wouldn't want to give the guy any mic time or air time. He's just not a good representation of what you want your company to be, especially when it appears, um, you know, at least as of late with the introduction of the Performance Institute, and I think they're building another one as well, that 
the the UFC is really trying to legitimize uh, the sport, they, or they want to. I mean, obviously, there's a million different shortcomings that we could go on and on about when it comes to MMA, and, and you know what's holding it back from being the sport that it could be. But with the deal with ESPN, you know, the worldwide leader in sports, and everybody knows how politically correct ESPN wants to be, they're not going to give a microphone to Colby Covington. They're just not going to do it. Nobody on ESPN that Colby Covington's not going on Sports Center to interview before a fight or or you know first take or anything like that. They're not going to put him on there because he's going to say something ridiculous and it's going to be a piss poor reflection of the company and what you know. I guess you would say moral. I don't know diagram that they maybe operate off of. Who knows? It seems that the dollar wins out in the end, but even still. You can't have Colby Covington going out there and being on first take and calling people nerds and virgins and idiots and losers and, you know, risk him saying something that's going to literally uh, flip the world as far as ESPN goes upside down. Because when that happens, when he they put a microphone on him in that capacity and he says something, the groups that he offends, whatever groups they may be, aren't going to go after the UFC. They're going to go after ESPN. And ESPN does not want that. Uh, they've shown that uh, with the Jamel Hill situation. They don't want that. The, the slightest bit of controversy around your character, and they look for the way to get you out. So that's what they're going to do. So Or not do. They're going to keep a microphone away from Colby Covington. But anyway, we've got a huge card this weekend, UFC 234 in Melbourne, Australia. Um, big fight, man. Middleweight title fight. Uh, Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. There's a ton of value on this card. Uh, we will be putting a lot of preliminary card plays and even some prop plays for the, these fights uh, on Patreon this weekend. So that'll be fantastic. Um, we're also going to do a little college basketball this weekend as well. But like we said with the with college basketball, those lines don't come out until. Um, like day of or night before. So it's really hard from a podcast format to say what the, what we're going to do on Saturdays and Sundays. So just be on the lookout for those either on Instagram or uh, Patreon. That That's really where we're going to try to, you know, keep that going. But there, like I said, huge card this weekend with football being done. We've got a lot to cover MMA-wise. So UFC 234 this Saturday, February 9th. Pretty excited for this card. Um, realistically, just going to cover the main card with you guys on the show today. Uh, and we'll, we're just going to do winners and losers. And then prop plays, round plays, all that kind of stuff is going to come out uh, on the actual Patreon page itself. And then if you don't, I mean, follow us already on Instagram, do so. We've been posting right before the event uh, starts. I'll post the entire card. Uh, what I what I think safe plays are uh, for the entire card, and since Christmas we are thirty three and eighteen when it comes to combat sports, so not too shabby at all. Anyway, we are going to work our way up from the main card uh, to the or from the bottom of the main card to the main event. Sam Alvey versus Jim Crute. Uh, we have talked about Sam Alvey on the show before there's always good value in Sam Alvey based upon his willingness to exchange he is tough 
and he's got knockout power. The same can be said for Jim Crook. Currently over under on rounds is coming in at two and a half. Albie's the underdog at plus 115. Little bit of value there. Over under at two and a half, plus 125. I think there's better value there. Um, both these guys have a penchant for finishing fights. Um, like I said, Sam Albee's got one punch knock you out power. Jim Crute, uh, since the Contender Series fight, you know, beat, uh, who did he knock out there? He knocked out some dude in Dana White Contender Series. And then he submitted Paul Craig uh, back just recently in the beginning of December um, at the Tuivasa. Uh, shit, who did Tuivasa just fight? Dos Santos card. So it's a home it's a home fight for Crute, and he has an unbelievable finish rate. Sam Alvey, savvy veteran, knockout power. Said in all his pre-fight interviews, he's looking to make a name. Wants to be a pay-per-view fighter from here on out. Was happy on the prelims and headlining prelims and featured prelims and all that good stuff. But he wants to make a name for himself and get on those pay-per-view slots. So let's look for fireworks here. Let's do the under two and a half uh, for the Crute and Alvy fight. Let's see. I might go ahead and make a play on the actual... uh, on the actual fighter itself at some point too, based on how they look at weigh-ins on Friday, but we'll see. Montana De La Rosa versus Nadia Kasim or Kasim. I'm not sure how she says it. We're going to stay true to form here. We are not betting on women fights anymore. We're not going to do it. Um, I don't like betting on women fights. There's no way to really tell. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and leave this one alone. I will say this. I think there's some value in this fight and with a lot of the underdogs on this card. Uh, you know, with this and with it being a woman fight, uh, Nadia Kasim is undefeated. Uh, she's taken on Montana De La Rosa. And while La Rosa is a, a more well-rounded fighter with experience, uh, Kasim is undefeated, so you know she might be worth a stab. Coming in plus two ten, she might be worth a stab. Again, I'm not betting on women fights anymore. I would say go ahead and um, go ahead and pass on this one. Oh, what else? Ricky Simone, Ronnie Yaya. R- Ronnie Yaya is on a tear. Um, he's coming in at plus one hundred. Ricky Simone's wrestle heavy. Doesn't have the world's greatest gas tank. His last fight was basically the game plan was takedown, takedown, takedown. And I would go so far as to say that he was he's going to have to completely abandon that against Ronnie Yaya because if Ronnie Yaya can get a hold of you, he's going to tap you out. Ronnie Yaya coming in at plus 100 with the over-under being at two and a half rounds, uh, coming in at plus 125. Ronnie Yaya, I think, is the play there. Take him and take uh, maybe maybe throw the under two and a half on there as well. But at least Ronnie Yaya at the plus one hundred with a very very strong lean at the under two and a half. Very strong lean under two and a half. Uh, so then that brings us co-main event: Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya. Adesanya is trying to put to bed the comparisons against Anderson Silva, even though he said in very recently that. Um, Anderson Silva was a great influencer of him. Um, and then John Jones is tired of people comparing 
uh, Israel Adesanya to him, said that they don't have anything in common other than the fact that they're both black. Um, that's about it. So uh, that's... I feel like they fight a little bit more similar than that. You know, I, I, oh, he said they had similar body types and that they're black. That's the... Uh, that was the comparison that John Jones gave between him and Israel Adesanya. I think that they're a little bit more similar than that, but I get it. I get it. You want to you want to be your own brand. Uh, Anderson Silva coming in at plus four thirty five. Massive, massive, massive underdog, and for good reason. The chin's been shown to be suspect. Here's what I like about this fight. Here's what I think makes it a little bit more even than the plus four thirty five minus. 585 line that we're getting back on Israel Adesanya is both of these guys are wildly accurate. Um, one of the things that Anderson Silva has showcased throughout his career is accuracy above everything else. Um, you know, a great example of this would be the uh, Forrest Griffin fight, right? Pinpoint jab while walking backwards just basically made uh, Forrest Griffin give up. The Stefan Bonner fight, uh, the knee that he threw in the pocket to basically cripple uh, Stefan Bonner. Brutal. The Chael Sonnen rematch, the knee that he threw while falling down. It was basically like a downward strike knee right to Chael Sonnen's chest. Um, and just about a million other things. Uh, the Yushin Okami fight where he was where he was swinging in the pocket. Uh, Anderson Silva is extremely accurate. He carries that chin high, and he has been very, very chinny since the Chris Weidman fight. Um, Chris Weidman, Michael Bisping. Did, I can't remember whether Nate Diaz or I'm sorry, Nick Diaz had him in trouble at all. Um, he just has not looked fantastic as far as you know being able to stay conscious. So it is what it is. Um, I think that that accuracy maybe makes this line a little bit closer, but I look for Israel Adesanya to win this fight. They got the over-under at a round and a half. Oh, boy. Um, my concern with the over-under at a round and a half becomes this idea of Anderson Silva wanting to be very fr- fan-friendly. Uh, when he gets in these moods where he wants to like really encourage fights, you know, where he's standing in the middle and he's clapping and waving and trying to wave guys on and this, that, and the other. Um, a lot of times it can just become this, it's this showmanship. It's just a show over and over and over again. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I feel like leaning over on it. I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm going to wait and put the the play Probably on Instagram. I guess see what they look like size wise comparison. I want to see these two guys standing side by side. I think the over might be a decent play over one and a half minus one thirty. But again, if you look at Adesanya and he comes out and he fights the way he did against Derek Brunson, who the hell knows, man? What the punch that knocked Anderson Silva out when he fought Chris Weidman looked to be the most lackadaisical left hook of all time, and it completely put Anderson Silva on a different plane of existence. I would like to think that Israel Adesanya is going to hit as hard, if not harder than that. Also, Anderson Silva is 43 years old. He hasn't fought in two years, though, so maybe the brain's made a little bit of a recovery. You never know. I mean, we just saw Jose Aldo peel back uh, or turn back the clock a little bit. It's MMA. Weird shit happens. I mean, you got two people swinging at each other, trying to render each other unconscious. I'm not entirely sure. The, the play on Israel Adesanya at minus 585 is just too big. There's no value there. 
Anderson Silva, if you're a purist at plus 435, maybe over under one and a half. I'm leaning towards the over on that. Leaning over one and a half. I don't have an actual play, but I'm just going to lean heavy on the over one and a half. Kelvin Gastelum, Robert Whitaker, Bobby Knuckles. I love Robert Whitaker. I love Kelvin Gastelum. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Kelvin Gastelum's coming at plus 200. And Robert Whitaker coming back at minus 250. I like Kelvin Gastelum in this fight. Um, I think he's going to hang out in the pocket. I think he's going to trade. And that left hand will find a home at least once. At least once. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I, I just think that Robert Whitaker's time, you know, over the over the middleweight division might be coming to an end. Um, not to say that he hasn't been a good champ. I, I absolutely love the guy as a fighter. He's an absolute warrior. He's entertaining. He finishes fights. Um, if he wins, it will blow the roof off of the stadium, uh, especially if he wins in convincing fashion. Normally, I would say that it, there would be a size disadvantage, but both of these guys are 170s or 170 years that came up to 185. Uh, you know, Gastelum still talks about wanting to go back down to 170, which I don't think they'll ever let him do. Plus, after he wins on Saturday, I don't think that that's even going to be an option anymore. I think Gastelum hangs out. I don't think I don't think Whitaker is going to put Gastelum in the trouble that Weidman did by wrestling him. Gastelum has shown to struggle with wrestlers. Um, not you know he's got he's got that big thick Mexican skull. Going to be really hard to get him out of there finish wise. I look for him to go in there, hang out, and find a home for that left hand, man. He's got very underrated kicks. Whitaker has been susceptible to leg kicks in the past. I think Gaslam goes out there, starts working the legs a little bit, throws that big left hand right down the pipe, and uh, gets it done. Plus 200. I think that's a good play. Over-under on rounds isn't out yet. Let's see how they look on weigh-ins, and I'll probably throw a lean on the over-under on rounds. I think this fight's going to get finished inside the distance. I don't think I don't think 25 minutes of fighting between these guys is going down. Uh, so if they put it at four and a half, I'm going to pound the under four and a half on that. But they might do something weird and put it like three and a half, uh, in which case uh, I would say avoid. But Kelvin Gastelum by knockout or TKO, uh, you know, you, we'll wait till that prop comes out. Try to make that uh, on top of some submission money. Let me look real quick, see if it's even out. I don't think that it is. Nope. All right. Kelvin Gastelum by KO, TKO. Or submission plus three twenty-five. That's the play. Kelvin Gastelum inside the distance by KO TKO or submission at plus three twenty-five. I like it. I like it. They got they got Kelvin Gastelum by decision at plus six hundred as well. Um geez, it might be worth whew. I'm trying to figure out how confident I feel about that. I feel really confident about it. I might play all three. I might do Gastelum. And then Gastelum by KO. Huh. And then maybe eh, we'll see. Maybe throw it maybe throw a unit on a decision too, just in case it gets weird and and sketchy and then you get the six the six unit return. You know, do two and two, get the six-unit return, end up coming out two. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Anyway, so that's about it, guys. UFC 234 is this weekend, like I said, Friday. or I'm sorry, Saturday, February 9th, Melbourne. 
I think it's going to be a good. I think it's going to be a good card. A lot of undercard value with underdogs, and like I said, those will be, all be available on Patreon in addition to some college basketball plays. And then, like I said, follow us on Instagram if you don't already. Fistful of Cash Podcast, because right before the event starts, we will uh, we will release the actual full card of winners and losers, and then every once in a while we throw over underplay on there as well. But outside of that, that's it. I really don't have anything else for you guys. Going to go ahead and sign off. I'm dealing with a household full of sick children. I am currently quarantined, trying not to get sick myself, so hopefully I can beat this thing. Uh, Little kid diseases are the most contagious of all diseases, and they are the ones that suck the absolute most life out of you. Um, You know, I can be around sick adults all day and not get sick. You put me around a toddler with the sniffles. Uh, If they're in a three-block radius, I'm going to catch it. So two little kids with the flu, uh, it's almost a surefire thing that I'm going to be puking my guts out here sometime soon anyway see you guys on social media if i don't catch you between now and next week uh until then take care guys